Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to What Thou Queen, a candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age. So please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, the views here are purely those of the content providers and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this program on. Now, please at your ears be upstanding for the <coughs> old queen. Hello, Tommy. Hello, Tommy. I've switched your mic on now. Hello, Bernie. <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> I'm not bad, yeah. How are you? I'm all right. It's been a bit of a weird week. Um, In what way? Like, lots of things have kind of, like, little things have gone wrong. Uh, mm. Like, my refrigerator door handle broke which was annoying. Then I put my phone in the have washing machine. Have you remedied machine. that? Sorry? Have you remedied it? I have, I've remedied it. Yeah, I've got a new one. Uh, then I put my phone in the washing machine by accident. Um, mm. So that needed to be repaired. Um, and uh, I had a, f- had a funny letter. Or well, we had a letter. Which isn't an, uh, a Queen's of Agony letter. Mm. Um, uh, shall I read it? So it's, it, yeah. it's hello both. Continuing to love your podcast, which is nice. Listen to your latest episode whilst I was out for a run and was glad to hear Tommy asking why the episodes always include a musical interlude, a.k.a. your theme tune, because... I've wondered that ever since I first started listening. It's fun to hear older gays, I'm 53, even older than you two chewing the cud. Keep up the good work, SS. I don't remember asking that. I I don't remember you asking that either. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to listen to these episodes multiple times (laughs) because I edit them. Um... (laughs) I know. I don't even listen to them at all. <laughs> um, it's interesting to think that people are going out for a run and listening to the podcast. It definitely wouldn't be my first choice about what to listen to when going for a run. No, I think I'd want something a bit more energising. Um, I'm saving listening to Lady Gaga's album for going for a run. I haven't been for a run since she released it, so I need to get, get on with that. Yeah, there's some good tracks on there. Uh, but I mean, it's had mixed kind of reviews in the gay world, hasn't it? But um, I think uh, yes. I like it. But um, to answer SS's question, uh, and thanks for the compliment, I come from a radio background, so I like a little bit of variation, and I like to be a little bit different from different podcasts. Also, uh, right at the very beginning, we had hopes of having sponsorship and advertising, and in the ad break was where those things could go. But as yet, that hasn't happened. But it might happen this week because of who I'm choosing for what that old queen. 
Oh, yeah. So who have we got for that? What that really old queen? Um, we've got Lillian Betancourt, who was the heiress and the fortune of the L'Oreal, the L'Oreal fortune. So we could be the L'Oreal. Yeah, <laughs> it could be just another hairspray. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, hopefully uh, her benefactors, because I think she's passed away now, right? Yeah, she passed away um, in 2017. Right, sadly. But yeah, maybe one of her benefactors would uh, like to sponsor a show or a series because they're ridiculously rich, right? Oh, like out of this world rich. <laughs> okay. You couldn't possibly imagine. <laughs> okay well um kink my bluff is going to take a bit of a break partly because we're running out of words and phrases to do that so we have the return of uh what that old kink which uh we'll be delving into the history of homosexuality in japan i'm very excited and curious to know more well there's there's a lot to get through i mean i've i've tried to pricey it down but uh we'll 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 see how far we get with it because it goes from ancient times to modern times. So we'll see. Yeah, so that's what that really old king. So what do you want to do first? Do you want to do what that really old queen or what that really old kink? And oh, we've also got a guest coming on. I know. Yeah, just confirmed this in the last half hour. Yeah. Do you want to say who it is? Well, it, we're very excited that Dickie Bow is joining us later. So Dickie Bow is um, a performer, actor, extraordinaire. Yes, and he's done quite a few shows in Bristol, and that's where I saw him. His artistry around lip syncing is unrivaled, I would say. Um, Yes, recently has been more um, seen on on the silver screen. He has in some big stuff. So um, we'll Uh, we'll be talking about that around um, Freddie Mercury, and then. uh, lovely film Colette. Um, Colette yeah yeah um yeah and I've seen both of those so yeah we can we can chew the cud with him about that so what would you what would you like to do first kink or queen god I don't know you choose <laughs> well should we do should we do kink I might I mean I might have to heavily edit this after yeah <laughs> so um while we've been doing kink my bluff and some of the what that really old kink so what that really old kink it tends to highlight how ancient cultures kind of viewed homosexuality and bisexuality and but a lot of the things coming out of kink my bluff were kind of japanese kinks um and i was watching a program the other day on the history channel which was about the history of sex and they touched on japanese views on homosexuality in their ancient culture which was quite interesting so i decided to do a little bit more research so japan's pre-modern society celebrated homosexuality and bisexuality in stark contrast to how they are now and it wasn't until they kind of opened up their borders to um, foreigners coming in and it was deemed to be you know they should be the same as western society that they decided to frown upon it and make it kind of illegal and not celebrated Mm. but it's been celebrated there for centuries and it mainly stems from the philosophies that they followed the first of which was shintoism where there was no they didn't kind of promote homosexuality but they didn't condemn it at all there's no mention of it whatsoever and so male on male sex was generally viewed as being fine in fact all sexual love was unconditionally good. So there was no kind of this judo-Christian view of sex being sinful or bad uh, or different types of sex being sinful or bad. It was like celebrated and they thought it would be, you know, it was a good thing, which sounds amazing to me. Mm. Then Buddhism came along where it, it was slightly more frowned upon because all desire was meant to be overcome to achieve enlightenment and obviously sexual desire was there and monks would take a vow of celibacy but only the holiest monks were expected to be completely celibate Mm. and homosexual acts were less of an offense than heterosexual ones and because they believe in reincarnation it was just like okay well you haven't achieved enlightenment this time because 
you've had sex. So um, better luck next time. <laughs> better luck next time yeah. with that celibacy. Although they, I have, I, I have heard lots of stories about like people traveling, you know, and going to a, a, a Buddhist monastery and having some sort of frisson with a with a Buddhist monk. Well, yes. Um, have you heard things like that? I have, and also as time went on, Buddhism kind of had its own sexual identity. So after a couple of centuries, the Shigon branch of Buddhism explored sexuality, uh, celebrated the loss of self in sex, which could awaken your spirituality. I just said I'm up for that. <laughs> well, yeah, totally. <laughs> but procreation was frowned upon. Tantric heterosexual sex and gay sex was celebrated. And obviously this led to kind of monks having sex with each other and, and stuff. I mean, some of it is problematic because it's older monks having sex with younger novice monks and things like that. But um, but obviously it was a long time ago, so um, let's not go into that now. But then this fed through because samurais came along and they had these Buddhist philosophies and things like that, and that fed through to them. And they became the ruling class. And due to Buddhist education and a low female-to-male ratio, homosexuality flourished. And then this kind of spread into the general population as they kind of integrated a bit more as time went on under the Shogun Society. And they saw an increase in brothels and kabuki theatres. And a mm. lot of, there was a lot of prostitutes and a lot of male prostitution. And many male prostitutes were kabuki actors and were highly sought after. So it's kabuki, it's kabuki like, um, like geisha girls and that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's kind of like the dancing with the fat. I mean, it's a real art form. It's, it's mm. kind of amazing to watch. And yeah, it's the painted face and the, the fans and things like that. Um, I love that. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, but you know, obviously, the realm of just women now. Historically, it was men and women that were doing it, and mm. a lot of male prostitutes were doing it, and they were highly sought after by men and women in that society. And then, in the eighteen to nineteen hundreds, they opened up their borders, and that's when everything kind of went wrong, and a more Western attitude to sex and homosexuality came in, and there was a lockdown on everything. Like the brothels were when, their when did they open up their borders? So it was it was like eighteen hundreds to nineteen hundreds. So, the, so it caught, caught the wind of the Victorian era. Yes, it was. It was kind of yeah that that era, and they wanted to open up their borders and be more Western. And so this attitude towards sex and homosexuality all kind of came crashing down. And so, and that's where it is today. It's kind of, uh, it's moved to the fringes and, and kind of gay life was moved to the fringes a bit like our society in many respects. But hopefully this can change in the 21st century. But it, it's really interesting because, you know, for a society which was always traditionally, historically progressive with this, to kind of really quite quickly batten down the hatches on it and um, make it illegal. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> Brilliant. That's Thank what you. that really okay. I mean, I've covered a lot of ground there in a very quick. <laughs> I mean, I a had a whistle stop tour. It's a whistle stop tour of homosexuality in Japan. Um, I mean, I had two sides of A4 at the beginning of the afternoon, and I just had to kind of cut it down to that. But I think it's so interesting, isn't it? Especially the kind of samurais and warriors. And you kind of hear a lot of that with soldiers and knights and things like that, don't you, throughout history? It reminds me of that book, Wild Swans. Did you ever read that? No, I didn't. Oh, it's like really big in the 90s. I read it. Yeah. Yeah. What's it about? It's about all the geishas. Ah, okay. And were there male geishas there? Yes, yeah. It oh, was that's a good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, similar to like The Alienist um, on, on uh, Netflix. It's Victorian era, but it's set in America. But they have a more realistic view about brothels and it, like rent boys dressing up as women in brothels and being hired by men and things like that. I mean, when you think of uh, like Dickens and Oliver, they wouldn't just be pickpockets, would they? 
they would have been rent boys as well. Mm. So uh, I, was, I was one of those pickpocketers in Oliver Twist. Where, were you? I, I, yeah, I had um, I had two lines. I had to say this is at the Bristol of Bristol Hippodrome, right? With Victor Spinetti as Fagin, and I had to say. Here, Fagin, these sausages are mouldy. <laughs> and I had to say, you'll have to pick the initials out with a needle. <laughs> if Fagin, these sausages are mouldy, and I know the light, the retort to that, which is, shut up and drink your gin. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> Do you know what? I would love, I've done a bit of musical theatre, and I think, if I'm ever lucky enough, I would love to play Fagin in the musical oh, of Oliver. Too. I'd love to play Fagin. I mean, yeah. what a colourful character. And the best songs, really. Apart from Papa. I mean, I could see you as Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd love to play Nancy, too. You, you could be Nancy. I'll be Bill Sykes. They've just got brilliant characters in all of the Dickens uh, stories. Oh, great expectations. Brilliant characters. Miss Havisham. I'd oh, love yeah. to play her. God, I feel a bit like Miss Havisham at the moment. In lockdown. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I've taken my yeah. wedding dress off for tonight. Shall <laughs> <laughs> I get on with um, what that really old queen? Because yes. Dickie's going to arrive soon. Yes, he is. So, yes, let's talk about this filthy rich woman. Yeah, so when you hear this story, it's going to sound a bit like a modern-day Greek tra- tragedy. So this is the story of uh, Lillian Betancourt, who is the heiress of the um, L'Oreal fortune, born in 1922 and died just um, a few years ago in 2017. So her father was the one that really set up the L'Oreal business. He was a chemist and he developed hair dye for um, local hairdressers. And when he died, she inherited the fortune. Um, She was rumoured to have $44. billion in that fortune. She owned um, a private island in Seychelles, um, a mansion just outside Paris, a villa in Marrakesh. She had like a team of like 44 staff, including butlers, hairdressers, chiropodists, all staff on call. And something about that French um, super rich is they're not really that flashy. They're not really like celebrities, which is why probably not many people in this country have heard of them. Mm. Um, She married a politician and that relationship really, he, the guy that she married, like used her fortune to it to develop his political career in the 1990s, he walked in uh, some political scandal because it was revealed that he wrote some anti-Semitic um, articles uh, quite a, a long way back that were revealed. And right. at this point in her life in the 90s, she begins to seek um, affection and other relationships from elsewhere. And this is when she meets um, a handsome young man um, I think he's in his late 30s at this time, Francis Marie Bannon, who is a bit of a celebrity, um, and he's a photographer, and he's assigned to take a photograph of her. He's openly gay, and when he goes to meet her and take a photo, he's saying things like, oh, I don't really like your hair, that trouser suit is all wrong. And she's a kind of woman that is not used to being told, you know, what to do. So she's kind of exactly. instantly drawn to him um, because it's like some, something that she doesn't really know. So she can't, he kind of really piques her interest. And they begin to have this friendship, really, and he opens her up to lots of different things that she hasn't experienced in her life, like going to the theatre, art galleries. The whole kind of um, world is open to her. And lots of people at that time referred to him as her gigolo, mm. uh, which is slightly unfair because I don't think it was a sexual relationship, but she was very, like, she was in love with him, I think. It was described as a platonic um, love affair. And he did definitely experience a lot of financial gain from their relationship. She bought him an, um, a fancy apartment. He financed his photography books. He bought him like loads of artwork, like Picasso and Munich, you name it. He had it in his beautiful apartment in Paris. 
Um, and so Lillian's daughter, Francoise, again, objects to this friendship. And apparently a maid overhears um, Lillian talking to, I'm going to call him the boyfriend, yeah. um, about her plans to adopt him wow. as a sort of, yeah, as a, as a legal thing. I think that they'd already put into place that the daughter would inherit the L'Oreal fortune, but this is about other extra finances around it. Right. So she objects to, to this and puts out a court case against him. Um, and in the court case, she says that this man is exploiting her mother because I think there's a real element of jealousy in this, in this um, three-way relationship because the daughter and the mother are very different people. Francoise, the daughter, is very bookish and shy and the, daughter, and the mother is very sociable and um, never really showed much affection to the daughter. It so sounds the, like the relationship uh, in Ab Fab doesn't it, between Safi and Adina? Well, I thought of it as being like, I can imagine like Ryan Murphy doing like some yes. high drama documentary about this situation. Definitely. And at this time, so this is going on, you know, this time, um, this, this court case spans quite, like I think it spans almost a date. And she is in the throes of Alzheimer's really within this. So that's probably, that that's kind of the root of her, um, issue with the relationship is that this young man is exploiting her and so it but when you to- say young he wasn't that much he wasn't really young was he well he's now in his 70s so at that point he was like mid 40s i would say okay right so yeah. a lot younger than her but yeah not particularly young no he's not an old queen he's not a really <laughs> old queen <laughs> and He's convicted and he gets four years in prison, which is later suspended on an appeal. Um, Nicolas Sarkozy, who's the French um, prime minister, tries to intervene in the court case and tries to pacify the the president, yeah, between mother and daughter, which is quite a curious situation because, you know, the president wouldn't normally intervene in a family dispute like this. It transpires that he has been um, receiving income from Lillian's fortune to, to fuel his political career. Of course so he has. This is the reason why he's kind of... Well, yeah, because uh, if, if, if they get him, the funding might stop for his political party, right? Exactly, yeah. So he intervenes and the boyfriend doesn't serve his time in prison. What does happen, though, is because of um, Lillian's Alzheimer's, the daughter now gets power of attorney and the mother spends the last years of her life really locked in, locked in her mansion under her daughter's control. Right. Um, so the, the last years of her life are really poisoned by this awful court case and relationship with mother and the, her desire, the young man. Um, and it just kind of proves that, you know, you can have all that money and you could still be like, have a really traumatic time with your family relationships. Yeah, sometimes I think it makes, I mean, money kind of meddles with those relationships completely, doesn't it? That. So I'm getting, I'm getting text message. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I really like, what, what, what really drew me to this story was when when someone was saying to Lillian, I think it was a reporter, like, "What has? Why have you? Why are you spending all this money on this young photographer? You know, why are you buying him an apartment, um, financing his photo books, showering him with gifts and works of art?" And she just looked around and she said, "Because he's worth it." <laughs> And of course, he was. <laughs> I mean, every gay man needs a billionaire as an advocate, right? No, I would just <laughs> love that. Like, that whole situation is so appealing to me right now. Yeah, because I, uh, when you said you were going to do her as, what, that really old queen, I looked at, so it, 
The gifts, there was a gift of a life insurance policy worth 257 million, 11 works of art worth 20 million, including paintings of Picasso, Matisse, and photographs by Man Ray. I Mm. mean, that's crazy. It's just like suddenly someone's completely financing your life. I want to know, I want to track him down and see what he's doing with his life and see if I can do what he did to her. <laughs> and do it to him. Well, I yeah, mean, that, that would be his comeuppance, right? <laughs> well, maybe he can be our What That Really Old Queen next week. If he's a photographer, yeah, is he a I mean, famous like photographer? He's a sort of celebrity photographer, yeah. Okay, well, that's brilliant. What That Really Old Queen... Shall we have a little break? <laughs> Even though SS doesn't really understand why. <laughs> but we'll have a little break while we wait for Dickie. And um, we'll be back after this. Right. So we're back after the break. And we have a fabulous guest with us, Dickie Bow. Hello, boys. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, you know, I mean, I'm going to give you this short answer, which is, you know, but, you know, yeah. not terrible. At this moment, I, now that I'm connected with you two, um, I'm, uh, I'm lifted. Um, what's that pinging noise? I think... Tommy, my computer. Tommy keeps getting messages. It's not mine. Oh, is it not? Oh, okay. I keep getting messages from Timberlina. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's not. Do I think it's my web WhatsApp web. Let me just close that. I think because I'm, I have so member member of so many. Uh, do you have lots of WhatsApp groups? Are you in lots of yeah. WhatsApp groups? Oh my goodness. WhatsApp groups. It's a state of affairs at the moment during lockdown, right? Oh, well, I was in a few anyway, but now, but it's, now so it's, it's endless. You've been some uh, lockdown period, Dickie. You've been performing in festivals. I did. A, I did a, uh, something for Fusebox Festival in Austin quite early on. Yeah, um, I did a few little um, videos and um, a live stream thing. I wrote a piece for Attitude Magazine about the coquettes. Uh, which was a nice thing to do. And has that influenced your uh, San Francisco lockdown look? My lockdown look has, I can't remember what came first, whether the lockdown, actually the lockdown look was probably veering towards San Francisco 1969 already because this tash had grown and um, the hair was growing and I was regularly wearing bandanas or wigs around the house, you know. So, uh, yeah, so the coquettes are to moment. Um, and then that really allowed the look to, you know, flourish. So then the material box came out and, you know, I went to town for a bit, actually. And you've got your um, tattoos out. We're, we're um, tattoo twins. We are tattoo oh, wow. twins. And by the same artist. Yeah. Did you have it done at the same time? No, I think oh. I probably copied. <laughs> okay. I don't think you copied me. I, I I think that Desmond, yeah, did. I, I don't know which one of our ships came first. We hadn't met though, had we? But but when? No, I mean, I was I was at college with Florence. Yeah. Um, and and I was doing a show about sailors, so it felt like it was the right thing to do to have a ship on my arm. That's right. He was tattooing me at the time, I think, because he talked about you while he was tattooing me. Um, I think, or but we've been friends for a long time. The pain. Was that to relieve the pain? Yeah. yeah, it was very soothing to hear to hear him talk about you and <laughs> the work before we became acquainted. <laughs> right, yeah, you got a very big tattoo. You got a large scale tattoo, didn't you? On your chest. After that, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that was after that, was it? Yeah, I had the ship first, and then I had the chest piece. So, oh, okay. are all of your tattoos by the same artist? My mine are and mine are. Oh yeah. wow, that's amazing! I don't have any tattoos, so you know, uh, maybe you can get me in contact with a good tattoo artist when I decide to have one. Yeah, Desmond um, is, would be my recommendation. Okay. Um, yeah, but you can continue to go around the world with the tattoos on your inside. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few of those. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Dickie, I first saw you and met you at Mayfest uh, yeah, quite, quite a few years ago uh, at Scotty's. Uh, you were a part of Scotty's Variety Show and you were doing a lip sync to Kenneth Williams, which mm. obviously me and, Tom, yeah. me and Tommy love Kenneth Williams. And I mean, it was brilliant. I mean, you are like a lip syncer extraordinaire. Thank you. And we're missing Mayfest this year, obviously, because of lockdown. It's meant to be on. Were you going to do something this year? At Mayfest? No, I wasn't. I wasn't um, in the lineup this year, to my knowledge. I mean, unless, uh, <laughs> unless there were plans that were bring. I'd love to go back. Yeah, because um, you did yeah. blackouts. We met again, didn't we? You did blackouts, yeah, that's didn't Because we, we met again then, no? Yes, we did, yeah. Um, we did Marilyn Monroe, uh, yeah. final interview. And it included Judy Speaks as well. Garland, yeah, and it was. Uh, it says on your website, it's a study of icons in exile, and I guess we right. all feel a bit like icons in exile at the moment. Uh, don't we? Don't, don't we, Jeff? <laughs> but off the back <laughs> of that, is you've got a consultancy to Renée Zellweger and Judy, the film. I, yeah, that's true. I, I, I did actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I did a couple of shows for the Almeida. Um, which I think is what was what brought me to the attention of Rupert Gould. And then so when he a while before listen, can I tell you about this film that I might be directing? It's about Judy Garland. And um so I was like, yeah, well, sure. <laughs> um and then when it came around, a little, little bit of time passed after that and then and then they started working it properly. And so then I think I think he told me that Renny Zellweger was already gonna be playing Judy from the beginning. Right. So and you didn't think it was gonna be you. <laughs> yeah no that uh, yeah that wasn't uh, yeah i didn't come crashing down from a great height to find out yeah, no, oh, that was up front yeah <laughs> and so i mean so he, what was that like did you did you meet her and we was it about the yeah. physicality of judy and things like that no oh no it wasn't no it wasn't really i mean she's like a really experienced hey what it was most about was a sounding board because i have some familiarity with the subject you know mm. and i had some perspectives to share really Rupert was all about putting me in touch with her to so that she had a sounding board I think as much as anything else right um and so we that she doesn't need somebody to tell her how to hold us I mean she's a really good like performer and really kind of you know um so it wasn't like I was directing her performance I was somebody to talk to so right. we, we basically hung out. We went we walked around Hyde Park and had tea in her hotel and um, talked about Judy Garland. I mean, it's very lovely. You know what I mean? It wasn't work in the, from that point of view. <laughs> and then uh, but then also Rupert asked, I did some, a few notes on the script. Yeah. And which um, was nice to see got, got taken well. So. And her physicality in the film, like I thought was brilliant. Like yeah. she just held herself in that way. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I thought so too, yeah. And I also thought that the singing was really successful. I thought because I, there was a question mark, I think, at one point about whether or not they were going to have her sing or lip sync. And I did wonder, oh, I wonder how that's going to be because Judy Garland's voice is so distinctive, mm. you know. But actually, I thought that um, when she, the first song in the in the film and when Ava Zellweger came out and, 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 and sang, I thought it was really... Because what she took on, I think, you know, regardless of the voice, was this thing that uh, that I noticed. And we did speak about this, which was that um, Judy Garland sang with her whole body. It wasn't just like, you know what I mean? Um, it was her whole being, you know. And and I really felt like that she was she was she was giving that, you know, um, and that body, and that body was frail and like a bit stooped. And Renee is kind of well, she's quite athletic looking but she'd managed to just yeah feel that yeah agreed um yeah but you're brilliant yeah, i think she's super good what's that you're brilliant at kind of embodying characters aren't you but uh, does that stem from the lip syncing because you, you played um another one of my favorites i mean you literally do all my favorite characters uh kenny <laughs> everett in bohemian rhapsody and uh, and yeah. i just thought you totally embodied him in that you know, what, uh, what, what kind of research did you do for that? Well, not a lot. I, but I, I know I did. That's not true. I did do, I did do quite a bit. Uh, but I didn't, I, I knew Kenny Everett. I mean, I used to watch Kenny Everett when I was a little boy on yeah. television. And that was very, very fascinated. 
by him. You know what I mean? Because, you know, there weren't that many to choose from, were there? <laughs> Not at all. The cultural landscape. So, and so, yeah. When I was in Cub Camp, we yeah. used to all sit around the campfire and I would do, um, and it's all done in the best possible taste. <laughs> and they were just like, why are you doing like, this? I used to do exactly the same thing. I was also a cub. I used to do exactly the same thing. It was Cupid's stunt. Yeah. That, was, that was the thing that really sort of turned me on to Kenny Everett. And I like, you know, and the fact that, you know, because he was like a coquette, actually, wasn't he, in a way? Because he, he was there with a full beard, and it wasn't a female impersonation in a traditional set, sense of wackier and kind of anarchic. And yeah, so I was, I, 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 and because of that, you know, I mean, I'm a great believer that we all become one another in this world, that we're all kind of like echoes of each other vibrating within a great big feedback loop. And on that level, I feel like having been exposed to him quite a lot as a child, mm. um, I had already absorbed a bit of Kenny Everett. Actually, when I did this self-tape for the audition, uh, I did one, I did the first version and my agent called me up and said, oh, I think you're trying too hard to do an impersonation. And um, she said, you, you've got a bit of Kenny in you. Why don't you just run with that? You know? And um, so I took that on board. I did another version. Where I wasn't thinking so much from the outside in, but it's just kind of like, just trying to kind of like, uh, take hold that idea of, of, um, you know, the stuff that I've already got in me that, you know, and, and, um, the spirit of it. And, um, and then that was the, t- that was the tape that she sent. That was what got me the part. Um, so it was less about some kind of methodical sort of compartmentalized idea of, okay, he has these mannerisms and those mannerisms and so on, you know, um, maybe there's a bit, a bit of that around trying to get, uh, the accent. Because he had quite a particular accent. Um, he had a very but, particular um, voice, didn't he? It, it was... Um, I loved him. I loved him as a DJ. I loved his television show. And uh, he wasn't... I mean, he wasn't openly gay, um, but there was obviously something quite queer about him. And I was always uh, drawn to him as a performer and larger than life and so funny as well. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't out, but he was sort of wasn't in either, was he? No. You know I mean? <laughs> no. I, I mean, I, was, I saw something actually just the other day where it was a, like a YouTube video. Oh, no, it was actually today I saw this. Um, uh, and it was on the BBC Archive, posted something on Facebook. Yes, I saw it him too. Having, did you see it? Yeah. And so he's talking about, you know, how he was now doing things like chopping wood and commented to himself as getting very butch. I'm getting very butch <laughs> or something. And yeah, he'd moved there with his wife, but at the same time, he was kind of just like, if you didn't know, um, you'd think that he was just an out homosexual, well, wouldn't you? Kind of like going. Did he actually have a wife? Because I was thinking he was just calling his boyfriend his wife. No, he had a wife. He had a wife, yeah. Oh, right. So another mm-hmm. lavender marriage there. Yeah, but she kind of, she kind of knew quite early on, I think, that he was gay and was kind of well, you would, very accommodating you? of that, <laughs> you know. A bit of that going around at the time, I think. <laughs> There's a bit of that going around this program. Is there? Who's in a lavender marriage on this um, meeting? Uh, what that really old queen? Well, well, she wasn't in a lavender marriage, but she was kind of having a relationship with a gay man. That was a really unfortunate place for the for the Wi-Fi to break up. <laughs> yes, it was a crucial moment. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't hear you, Penny. We didn't hear oh, you it's fine. The listeners will because um, it's all recorded my end, so. <laughs> okay but what it was what our really old queen was having a relationship with a gay man in, oh, yeah. in all kind of respects other than sex obviously but they were kind of companions and she showered mm. him with lots of money and gifts which is what we could all do with right at this moment in time yeah my goodness i mean tom what's it like being a live performer um in a pandemic it's not easy is it i mean it's, it's not easy no um, but I am finding ways to perform. Uh, I am doing a few things online, but I'm also doing things that I book amateur, and it's talking about like trying, like trying different things. And because we've all been just conditioned to think about the things that we're really good at, and so we just do those. So it sort of sets up this state where we're just being ruled by the people that that do that one thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd like to become a prime minister, an amateur. One. I oh, wish you would. Well, I would definitely vote for you, <laughs> Dickie. What are you up to during lockdown? Are you doing anything creative, or are you just having a pause? Um, 
I mean, the moment it's happening in different waves. So there are waves where I'm being creative. There are waves where I'm in abject panic about the future because, like, literally, like you know, all nearly everything that that was going to be happening this year has well obviously gone, yeah. and um, who knows when this is going to end. So, uh, but you know, I know that they are not the only one. I mean, lots of us are in the same boat. But um, so there have been moments of paralysis. There have been periods of paralysis around like, what am I going to do? Do I need to do something else for a bit? Mm. Um, but do you think the film work will open up before? And so, you know, because you've got your foot in the door in that way, that might hold you in good stead. Well, I mean, you never know. I mean, you don't know what's around the corner. Those things tend to sort of happen sort of reasonably quickly. And so it could be, you know, and that would be wonderful that something uh, comes up on that front. So, you know, and I mean, and like you say, you know, I've got a couple of credits now, so that could, yeah, that could, that could happen. Um, that's uh, an optimistic way of thinking about things. I think there, there, there's some film crews have started to work again where they are, the whole crew, I think a couple of pro- a project in Australia I heard that was happening where basically the whole crew was isolating. So maybe that's going to be a way that things happen a little bit until the pandemic Ends, I don't know. Maybe that's going to be one thing. Well, um, having everybody on each other as well. Was that? They can all have sex with each other as well. Well, they won't be able to go outside of the crew yeah. for uh, Nikki. I mean, what's happening now is, is people. Is, we're not. Nobody's allowed to go to anybody's. Like, if you if you've got a partner who lives in a different household, isn't it true that strictly speaking, you can't go around there? Yeah, for the you're breaking the law. Strictly speaking, you're breaking the law. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, I wonder how. Many people are breaking the law. Where are you um, based in lockdown, Dickie? I'm in Bethnal Green. So London? In London, yeah. yeah. And are you yeah. in a shared house or are you on your Todd? I live in a warehouse. Okay. So there are... Um, um, yeah. One of my housemates is 80. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. So um, there's been a bit of a conundrum this week because um, I'd quite like to be joining the um, demonstrations, but... Because I have a housemate who's 18. Um, I can't do that. No. You know. So, um, yeah. So I've taken the lockdown really seriously, you know. Um, I've hardly been out at all because, you know, one doesn't want to risk um, bringing anything back in. No, exactly. You know, and then being responsible for, you know, um, somebody getting very ill or dying. Yeah. So um, yeah, but we have a lot. But it's really wonderful to be living in a shared uh, house. And I've been growing herbs and with vegetables on my balcony here. So I put a little my little nook. So um, yeah, I've got some rocket and thyme and basil and mint and and um, sage and chives and coriander and parsley, all of which I've grown from seeds since lockdown began. So that's quite nice. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah, it's good. I mean, people, you know, there is a time, isn't there, in lots of people's lives where they go, actually, what, what am I doing wasting my time being a, being a, being a dancing, you know, um, flippity-jib when I'm creating on plant life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would never describe you as a dancing flippity-jib, but, um, <laughs> but if you want to identify as that, that's fine, Dickie, it's fine. That's um, why I am sometimes. <laughs> well, as time's getting on, should we do some Queens of Agony? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do a big gong. What are you doing, a gong? Yeah, I did a big gong. I, I don't know why I do this, but, you know, it's just to, uh, uh, just to announce this is another section of the show. So, yeah. dear old Queens... My sexual needs are not being met. I know this is not the most important thing with everything going on in the world, but being almost 30, I want to discuss my personal issues. My sexual needs have never been met in an adequate level. I look back and say I have had sexual contact, both parties naked, but not fully penetrative sex for about 40 times. I think my risky sexual behaviour stems from that out of the 40 times i've had almost 30 different men most of these were nude massages jerk off together and a handful of oral i've been careful about anal i got 
penetrative anal from two men and gave anal to three men. I mean, this is going into so much detail. Do we need to know this? I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so averaging it out from 24 <laughs> when I became sexually active till now when I'm 29, I have had sex six times a year on average. I mean, this is quite... I mean, why would you go into this much detail and then work out the average? And these are supposed to be my best years. I'm trying to be a better version of myself in all areas of my life. Reducing the amount of casual hookups is one of my goals. How can I go about it? I notice the patterns. I have a sexual encounter. Then I go cold turkey for two months. Then the urges come back and I go out looking again. How can I break this cycle? I've tried reaching out to hookup partners to meet again on a couple of occasions, but never really had any luck. I take the responsibility too, as I've blocked ghosted hookups after the deed is done, as I was never attracted to them to begin with. What? It was just to meet my urges. How do I break this pattern? What's your advice? I mean, this Come is... On. <laughs> What did you say, Tom? Chamomile tea. <laughs> That's a genuine. I think chamomile tea can um, put your sexual desire on on a on a level playing field. Mm. I think it reduces it. I think. But I don't see anything wrong with his sexual desire. I mean, he seems to be kind of punishing himself for for having urges. Yeah, it's just like what, what's wrong with having those urges? It's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot there to unpack, isn't there? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, how long have we got? <laughs> you know, we need to have a one-on-one with this guy. <laughs> What's your advice, Dickie? My advice? What does he want to do again? What's the question? I mean, the question is... Well, he, w- how can, he wants how to can break this cycle of, of having break sex. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty well, it much... It sounds a bit like, you know, it sounds like he's acting out. Um, like if you're having sex with people that you're not attracted to in, uh, in order to satisfy urges, I mean, that's, that's, um, probably not ideal. No. Um, you know, so. It's not ideal, but I don't think it's wrong either. No, I don't. As, as long as it's, as long as you both have a, some sense of that that's what's going on. Yeah. I think it's, pro- that is probably what's affecting his self-worth though. And I think this is the root of the issue here where he feels shamed for having these urges and then he goes out yeah then he goes out and has sex with people that he doesn't particularly fancy and then he's feeling ashamed about this and he wants to change this pattern i don't see anything wrong with the urges i think you shouldn't shame yourself out of sex but maybe you know love yourself a little bit more and treat yourself to someone you actually fancy to have sex with rather than do it in a you know, kind of derogatory way with someone that you don't actually fancy. Also, you know, there are sex toys, aren't there? Well, um, certainly during lockdown. During, well, I mean, apparently, um, <laughs> there are there are certain like purveyors of sexual, you know, sex toys. Who, you know, their business has gone through the roof in in lockdown. Um, just you know? through the orders which I've given them. So. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Tommy? What do you think? <laughs> well, I think that also there's something about creating some kind of ritual that might happen now in order for him to kind of not feel like this sense of shame about what's happened in the past because it shouldn't be shameful. Mm. He could actually just rationalise it in a sense like, I had sex with people because I had a desire to have sex and I might not have been physically attracted to them. Like, And that's okay, but let's put that behind me and start like don't get caught up in the shame of that of what happened in the past and move forward and look for finding new ways to have relationships yeah and there's also you know in any kind of acting out you know quite often there's some kind of emotional content that's being that's being run from isn't there yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's absolutely nothing wrong with impulses or desires or urges or anything like that. But sometimes they, they, it, it, sex is, a, is an, like a classic way of, you know, of, um, of dissociating, isn't it, from, you know, content uh, that is in some way or another uncomfortable. Yeah. And so it might be worth like, you know, if, and that's really maybe the source of the shame, the true source of the shame, because there's nothing wrong with having sex. 
but but sometimes there can be there can be stuff that's not being dealt with um and that lies lies beneath and and it's they're not dealing with that stuff that causes the, the real discomfort but there also could be something about the fact that he might be having sex with people that he finds there's something about them that he finds really attractive but he do, he feels unable to put his finger on why that is because he might not want to explore that part of his with, you know that sort of thing yeah he, yeah he, like he doesn't want to explore that part of his personality or desire there's lots of people why there's lots of reasons why you would find someone sexually attractive and they might not be the reasons that you want to be connected with mm like socially or to have associated to be associated with as like your boyfriend or something yeah. like that. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I think something about sex that actually can be repulsive as well. Like that's kind of the turn on this attraction right. repulsion thing. Yeah. yeah. And he obviously has that because he has a lot, there's a lot of shame here, isn't it? It sounds like there's some shame there, which is a shame. Which yeah. I feel like I, what I wanted to do in lockdown was try and remember all the people oh. like that list. And like, they seem like they've already done it. And did you seriously think about doing that? I thought it might be a kind of good lockdown fun exercise to do. Sorry, you cut out. You, you, you wanted to go back and remember everyone you've had sex with? Yeah, write a list. <laughs> do you think you're capable of doing that? Do you think that's, do you think that's within the realms of possibility? Well, I think it's going to be a flawed exercise, but I thought it might be worth having a go. I wouldn't waste your time. I find it too daunting. It's like a mountain. That's a mountain I do not want to climb. Yeah. There's some things I don't want to remember. Anyway. Well, I've, got a, I've got a very good memory for certain details. I bet. <laughs> um, it could be an interesting exercise. <laughs> So, and with one of them I can re- just all I can remember is a clinking of a gin and tonic glass but nothing else and do you have a fetish for that now <laughs> the clinking of a gin and tonic glass is that is that what makes you climax it's very evocative for me I bet right okay moving on let's move on to the next question that one was too complicated to even give a, a full answer no but if you want to give that guy my email address we can communicate okay sure <laughs> dear old queens would it bother you if your hookup has an unusual fetish i have a real strong fetish for men's dress socks but weirdly i'm not much into wearing dress socks myself or expecting to be a foot slave for some other man it's just a visual arousal and satisfaction to me this is why every time I'm hooking up with a man, I tell him about my fetish, um, although I'm always mentally prepared if he gets weird about it. But so far, the majority were cool with fulfilling my fetish and didn't mind wearing their socks for me. But I'm curious to know about how people feel about it. Would it be bothersome for you to move on if you have other options? I'd appreciate hearing your thoughts. What was the last bit I would... I don't know. It's really complicated. It's like he he hasn't really... I want to know how people really feel about it. So I think it's about, uh, you know, if someone has a particular fetish, would you meet up with them if you weren't particularly into that? Or would you try and fulfil their fetish? Like this guy's partners do. I mean, socks, that's not that outlandish, is it? It's very innocuous by the sounds of it to me. It's Um, a dress sock. It's a dress sock. um, Like it's... like a formal sock with a sort of suspend. What would you call it? Suspender. Like a, it's yeah. It's a suspender. I, I mean, I guess more so. like a more like a posh school rather than a a, 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 a sort of slutty sports sock. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that's the thing. Yeah. Would I would know? just I would just always be happy to indulge someone with their fantasy as long as I didn't feel uncomfortable with it, because I always enjoy fulfilling that fantasy. You know, if it's something, thing, I was, I was, I mean, that's partly because I'm a performer, but I always enjoy wearing, you know, things that have been bought for me or like things that I've been told to, you know, get into. I'm, I can do that quite happily. And I don't really get pleasure from it other than pleasuring the pleasure that, I get from pleasuring them. <laughs> Can you say pleasure again? 
pressure. <laughs> uh, Dickie, Bo. Um... I don't think I've got anything to add to that. I think Tom expressed really well uh, sort of how I feel about it too. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a little sock fetish yourself or not? Not, not dress socks, I have to say, although I don't want to, you know, say that that's not a worthy fetish. No. It doesn't necessarily do it for me. I, I, sports socks, you know, I'm a bit of a cliche in that sense. I think sock is, is quite... Um, Right, Andrew, Andrew. I mean, really, do you want to know? Really, should we go through the list of all of my... <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't have to go through the list, but um, you know, I think we all like a... I mean, I, I've got a little bit of a foot fetish. I quite like sports socks as well. You know, I think nice it's, feet are lovely. Yeah, yeah it's nice quite hands, common. hands as well. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that's a completely reasonable. And I'd be inclined, more inclined to give it a go and sort of see, you know, what comes of it. And as Tom says, you know, if, if you know that what you're... That what you're uh, indulging is 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 having an effect for someone, you know. Then that's a good motivator. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that does you know the the, the bringing of pleasure brings pleasure. Of course, pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Mm. Um. Okay. One one final question, <clears throat> dear old queens, and obviously Dickie. Do you think light-coloured eyes, especially blue or green, can make an otherwise average, plain-looking guy more attractive? Especially, <laughs> especially if he has dark hair, which would make his eyes really pop. There's this green-eyed guy I work with who I used to think was so hot, but then I really looked at his face one day and noticed he was kind of funny-looking, LOL. I kind of feel the same way about Bradley Cooper. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fan, but I think that without those baby blues, he's just another cute guy. What do you guys think? Dickie, really have, you, have you met Bradley Cooper? No, not that I remember. Um, <laughs> I, your eyes? My eyes? Yeah. They're blue, baby blue. Can you see? They're actually... They're really blue. But they sometimes look blue. Yeah. Um, I used to have a boyfriend whose eyes changed colour, actually, depending on how horny he was. They would get bluer if he was um, feeling particularly fruity. Um, they would go deep blue. Um, was it you feeling particularly fruity or him? If it, he was feeling particularly fruity, but maybe he was just reflecting back what he could see yes. in me. I mm. don't know. Um, uh, and I can't remember whether that made him more. I think it probably did make him more attractive that they went a bit deep blue, a bit of a deeper blue. I think it's truer of beards than it is the like, eye color. To be honest with you, I think a beard can make any old plain Jane look like a really handsome uh, Adam. You know what I mean? What are you saying? Um, I'm not cutting any spurs <laughs> on the present company um, because you know uh, I know. <laughs> Bernie, that you look, but uh, I also know that some people, um, you know, a beard adds a lot to them, a lot of value to them. Yes, I color, I am completely like, you know, uh, I think it's sometimes it's, for me, it's about the shape of an eye, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, and if somebody has thick eyelashes, I think that can make them make 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 uh, make them very attractive, you know, but it's more like, and then the way that, that, that somebody might look at you, I suppose, you know, um, the um. The expression in the eye, you know. It's what they do with the eyes. It's what they do with the, yes. um, with them. Um, yeah. What about um, you, Tommy? Do you think the eyes maketh the man? <laughs> I don't know if I do, really. I can't really think of anyone that I've been with that I think about their eyes. We're quite often attracted to people who have different coloured eyes mm. to themselves. Um, you know what I mean? I've got I mean, two different coloured eyes. Oh. One's more, more green than blue and the other one's more blue than green. I never find people with blonde hair very attractive. Don't you? That's interesting because you have blonde hair. Mm-hmm. You've chosen that mm. in yourself. Mm. Hmm. Any hair colours that you like, Dickie? I, um, I, I, I like all sorts, genuinely. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I don't... I don't think I have anything that I find. What do I have? What do I have particular affinities to? I don't know. Um, it's so hard to generalise, you know. Maybe this guy's right that if Bradley Cooper, would Bradley Cooper be less attractive if he had brown eyes? I don't, I don't, I don't think he would. I don't um, think so. 
it's a personal thing isn't it you know and it's a cultivated thing and a culturated thing as well isn't it to some extent you know what we find attractive is is um is a culture isn't a culturated thing no because we're absorbing all the time these images mm. of um what we're told are uh are, are ideals mm. you know what i mean i think eyes can be attractive but i think when you're attracted to someone it's the whole package it's you know, it can be a number of things and and sometimes you can't put your finger on it you know it's a je ne sais quoi it could be a smell it could be you know oh yeah i love smells yeah it, it's it's just a vibe it could be their energy it doesn't necessarily mean how what shape their body is it could be their personality it doesn't mean what color their eyes are you know i mean that's just one facet isn't it i think this guy's getting too hung up on eyes I hung up maybe on visuals generally because because you know the the the, the I mean can you imagine that poor guy in the office what, how he would feel if he knew that he was being scrutinised to that degree you know <laughs> that his face had been discerned as being a bit bit funny a bit weird <laughs> or whatever the expression was I'm just imagining um, yeah your eyes are different colour and you're ugly yeah um, it's quite quite a lot of objectification going on there isn't there um, I, I'm blaming lockdown neurosis I think everything's getting magnified in lockdown. And maybe people are thinking about things too much. Well, I can relate to that. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, Dickie, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on board the podcast today. We've come to the end of our show. Would you like to say goodbye to our, our lo- lovely listeners? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to be here for longer. <laughs> maybe you will have me back. Um, Please come back you know. and maybe we can be in the same room. Yeah, next I wonder time. when that will be. Yeah. Well, goodbye to the listeners. You know, um, how many have you got? Have you got lots? Uh, three and um, a half. Three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> all over the world. Thank Spread out all you. over the world. Lovely. To, yeah. Yeah. Let's do it again in the real world. When was that? When's that going to be? Oh, we don't know, do we? I don't know. Uh, put me to sleep and wake me up when it happens. <laughs> but thank You're you. Both in Bristol, aren't you? Yeah, we are. A stone's throw from each other. <laughs> so I don't even know why we're doing this uh, by Zoom, but you know, um, socially distance. Yeah, we. Um, but we did have a socially distance picnic the other day. We did. Oh no! And it was very lovely. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Tommy. Say goodbye to our lovely listeners and Dicky. Goodbye, lovely listeners and Dicky. <laughs> goodbye, and we will see you next time on what that old queen. have been listening to what that old queen written and presented by tom marshman and bernie hodges the show was produced by bernie hodges in lockdown 2020 for hodge podcasting if you'd like to sponsor a show or you'd just like to be a guest or you have a question for the old queens you can email on hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on facebook instagram or twitter Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 